think that if I could start all over again, I would say that the thing that is the most important, one of the most important things in life is to sow seeds only of grace and love that we should be super kind to everyone, regardless of race or color or anything else. We have a responsibility to be super kind and to be known as a peaceable people. I love that so much. I, I think those are such true words. And I think in today's climate with a lot of racism, a lot of people that are just fighting and there's so much opposition of people having different political views, being able to just plant those seeds of love and kindness and giving people the benefit of the doubt, I think is such wise words. I, I agree. I think it's important to pick a virtue and be, become every day a part of that virtue because virtues and principles and values never change and they can't be changed. So Yeah, important. I agree with that. Although we can't go back in time, we can reflect on our past experiences and learn from them. But wouldn't it be so amazing if we could? If you could, what would you tell yourself? This is Letters to My Younger Self. I'm Liz Gardner. Join me as we talk with some of my favorite people about their life stories and how they've learned and how we can become a little better by hearing their incredible stories. It's so crazy what can happen in a couple weeks. I had this interview with Annette, and then right after all this crazy stuff started happening in Ukraine, and I don't know about you, but people I've talked to have felt helpless and wanting to know how to help. And part of the reason that I wanted to interview Annette was to connect her to the community. First of all, she's an amazing person. She started this nonprofit organization called Unity in the Community. She has dedicated her life serving, helping refugees. She teaches English classes and has other people, and they help people to gain citizenship, and they get people beds, blankets. They help them to get set up when they're here in Utah. Today, you're going to hear her talk about some of the refugees' experiences people having their houses burned down, refugees being separated from their families at the border. And it's really amazing because Annette started this organization watching the news and feeling helpless. And then she started doing this pancake breakfast for refugees and then ended up quitting her job so that she could help full time. I know all of us want to help more. And in this podcast, you'll learn a little bit more how you can help her. If you are local and you have time and you want to donate your time, we can connect you to her. If you would like to make a donation, she has a Venmo. And unlike a lot of organizations, Annette doesn't have any paid staff. So any of the donations you make, 100% will go to helping refugee families. Also, I learned that it's so easy. You can buy material, make a blanket. You can buy plates for $12. You can buy whatever you want to do to donate. There are so many people in need. There are so many people who need our help and our love. And as I've been watching all of this war and things in Ukraine unfold, 
I have felt so blessed for my life to be safe, to have enough food and have all the things that I need. I have also noticed a lot of other people saying similar things. And this is a wonderful opportunity for us to show up and be able to help our neighbors. I'm really grateful for this interview. When I first talked to Annette on the phone, we had a really cool experience where we just connected and I had this epiphany and I was explaining why I had started this podcast and I kind of told her that I really felt drawn to and that there's a reason that I interview certain people at certain times and that it's a way that God has taught me and helped me to know that other people go through hard things and he has helped them and he'll help me along the way. And I really am just grateful for anyone who takes the time to listen because it's been such a rewarding experience for me. So I just wanted to say thank you for listening and thank you for supporting this podcast. Okay, well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. I am so thrilled to talk to you and I've heard so many wonderful things about you and I enjoyed our visit the other day on the phone and I just, I think you're an amazing person. So I'm so excited for people to be able to learn from you and, and learn about your amazing organization. Well, thank you for your time and consideration. I'm very excited to be here and thank you. Thank you. So Annette, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you grew up and what you were like as a kid and paint a little picture for us of who you are. Well, I, I grew up initially in Glen Rock, Wyoming, where my father was. He worked on a power plant there for Jacobson Construction. And after the power plant was built about five years later, then we moved to um, the avenues where we lived really close to the Salt Lake City Cemetery. And my grandfather lived across the street. And we ended up in Sugar House and lived there much of our lives. And then my parents moved to Midvale, Utah, and that's, I actually live in their home. I took care of both of them as they were aging and ill and and, until they passed away, and I've just stayed. I love Midvale. It's my home and my community, and the only way I'm leaving is in a pine box. (laughs) Well, I think that from what I've heard is you've created an amazing community, and you've been able to help so many people. I think that Midvale wouldn't know what to do without you. So you'll have to stay around for a lot longer, right? I'm going to stay for sure, for sure. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization, Unity in the Community? I'm curious to know what you do and and kind of how you came up with this idea to help the refugees. Well, Unity in the Community has a short story and a long story, and there's a merging of both of them. I'll try to make it short and sweet. And it really began with, um, in 2014, ISIS, uh, who was uh, a terrorist group in the Middle East, was doing tragic things to the, the people that were there. And they were killing and maiming and attacking and just literally terrorizing the whole Middle East. And I saw pictures on the news that were frightening and scared me to death. And I, I thought, well, isn't there something that we can be doing? And so I, I tried to get uh, raise some money 
so that we could help in Iraq or Afghanistan or Iran, any of these places. And um, people were afraid of the terrorists and didn't want to have anything to do with it. I even went to banks, and they didn't. They really thought it was a curious idea, and they were all about about it, but nobody really wanted to do anything. And so I, I couldn't generate any support whatsoever. And so I thought, well, I'll work in my own community. And so... I was at the corner, I was driving to work one day, and I was at the corner of 3rd South and State Street, waiting for a red light, and I was listening to a, a radio broadcast that where the Pope was speaking, and he said, um, in essence, that it was our duty as as individuals of this world, to repair our communities. And if we couldn't do anything abroad, because so much was going on, that we needed to repair our communities. So I began by working on the community of Midvale, which is where I live. There was a large number of poor people and immigrants who were living in the western part. I wanted to have breakfast, Saturday breakfast, a pancake breakfast, where we all would come together and the kids would get fed over the weekend because we didn't at the time have school lunch or school breakfast in our area. And I had heard that a lot of the immigrant mothers and fathers were going without food so that their children could have more food over the weekends. Wow. And so we, we planned these great big giant breakfasts. And so every other weekend, because it was expensive, we had these giant breakfast gatherings where we served Saturday pancakes. And then it ended up being, we noticed that they don't have a lot of fruit. And so we did massive amounts of fruit, watermelon and strawberries and cantaloupe and grapes and everything that we could think of so that they could have what they needed and wanted, and then also have enough to um, enjoy on the weekends. And so there were two sisters that helped me start this. They were Hispanic um, women, and they were dear. And they didn't think that I was really going to show up and do this, but we did do this. We had grills and tables and chairs and everything set up for them, and we did this for two summers. And then it was obvious that we couldn't communicate very well with them because they didn't speak English. And so we started teaching English, and then we started teaching citizenship, and then we started teaching math. And those are the things that um, Americans wanted most from our immigrants and from the refugees is to become assimilated, so to speak. And so those are the areas that we started, and that's where we continue to work on. Um, those are areas that um, increase our our country economically by helping people find jobs. And, you know, there's 2,080 working hours in a year. And if a person makes $5 more an hour, imagine what that does to their family by learning English. And even a landscaper can make $5 more an hour if they speak English. And so we wanted to be able to improve everything about them. And so we started with English. And it's been very successful. We, be, Prior to COVID, we were located in three locations and two senior centers and a church, and we had 195 students between the three areas. So we've just started up again, and we teach at West Jordan High School in the library. And it's been a, an exciting opportunity because we've never taught at a school before. And so cool is this that West Jordan High School has 450 immigrants and refugees, mostly immigrants. And so 
think of all of the families that we are there to help. And just started in January. We had eight new students last night. And two, we were so excited because two of the new students brought their parents, <laughs> which is the whole goal, and even brought some of the little guys who do a better job at interpreting than some of their older siblings. So we actually have to start a brand new beginning um, English class because we had so many people come last night. So we're excited. It's a, it's a thrilling opportunity, and we want to change the landscape of that community. It is West Jordan, but... It, the school can prosper if they all can speak the same language. It's a beautiful thing. That's amazing. I love that you were watching the news and you had this feeling, this is so depressing. What can I do to help? And that instead of it just stopping there, because I think a lot of people see situations and think, oh my gosh, that I, I can't imagine my family going through a situation like that. And you feel empathy and then it might just end there, but the, the fact that you followed through and you started this pancake breakfast and everything, and it's amazing what you guys have been able to do. And I kind of forgot to mention that part of the way that I got connected with you is that my mother-in-law was, has been helping your organization. And so then, you know, so I've been at her house and seen all of these clothes that get donated and then kind of seen a little bit of just a, a small percentage of, of what you're doing. It's amazing how many people you've been able to help because of your big heart. And, you know, part of the reason I wanted to do this episode today was just to help other people to understand what they can do. I think we have a lot of local people that listen to the podcast as well as, you know, there's lots of people that can help people in their community. But I just, I think that you're so amazing for for really dedicating your life to serving all these people who who need someone like you and need a lot of other people to help them to to help their families to thrive. Why did you pick the refugees as someone to be able to help? I know there's lots of people that you could serve and what what is it about the refugees and the immigrants that you felt drawn to? When we began working with originally the immigrants, right, the Spanish Hispanic community who is here as a large population here in Midvale, we fell in love with them. I mean, we, this will sound silly or a cliche or maybe even just stupid or ignorant, but we didn't realize what amazing, beautiful, hardworking, lovely people the Hispanic community is. And we, immediately grasp their plight and some of the things that they have to go through. And so it, it was love at first sight, really. And then when you get have the opportunity or take the opportunity to get to know them, they have so many things to offer that literally we as Americans don't have. And their hearts are as big as the wide outdoors. And their experience is vast. And their hardships have, have proven them to be strong and resilient and careful planners. And they're just not people just looking for a handout or anything else. They work so hard. And a lot of times they really get the backhand of the American citizens. And we wanted to change that because of the love that we felt at the time and still feel. We just admire these darling people. And then when we began teaching English, 
Um, it was at the same time in 2014 that we received um, a number of people from Syria and also from Kenya and several other places, the Congo as well. And so it just became a natural for us to work with the people who were coming from all these third world countries. And then with all of that, we ended up working with 132 countries very wow. quickly. We had people from China and Japan and the Congo and <laughs> just every place that you can think of. We had a pin map and we had so much fun showing people where other people lived and how they got here and telling their stories. And it was it was really one of the most exciting, joyful times I've ever had in my life to understand the plight of other people that live in this world, people that we've never known before who are here. And they're here for a reason. They're here to receive love and kindness and support, which is what we should all be doing. And we're all immigrants anyway. We, we are descendants from immigrants who founded this country. And then I got really excited about teaching citizenship. I thought, okay, but I wanted to teach citizenship in such a way that there was a holistic approach to principles of um, godliness, I suppose, because this uh, country was founded on God bless America, and the, the founding fathers believed in God, and they worshipped, um, all of the founding fathers worshipped differently, but they all believed in one God. And there's information about the refugees, and the lost boys, and, and all of the people who have helped make America great. And it isn't just by being first an American, it's by people coming from other countries, and lending a hand, and contributing and working together. So our citizenship program is very exciting. It is one of, it excites me because the people that come, their lives are changed and their children's lives are changed because they're helping their parents learn these concepts that they didn't know themselves about the judiciary and how our government works. And so we're excited. That's awesome that you're able to, to teach them. And I can, just hearing you describe your love for these people, I think that you know, service and helping people really does draw you to them. And I think that a lot of people who have negative feelings towards people coming into our country, if they really got to know these people and to know their hearts, then they would feel different. I agree. I totally agree. And it sounds like you've had a lot of amazing experiences and being able to teach people and, and help them to be a part of your heart and and help them to, to be able to thrive in their community. But I agree that there's a lot of injustices in the world. I, I recently read the book, American Dirt. I've been telling all of my friends to read it. And I think I mentioned it to you the other day, but it was just so fascinating to me. And it's a fictional story, yes. but it's based off of true events that people have experienced they kind of fictionalize the characters but the woman is coming from Mexico to the United States and being able to get here was just a crazy ordeal and it really made me second guess some of my just kind of some of our thoughts of people coming here and how a lot of times people really don't have better options it's not just that they're coming to America because they want more money, but a lot of these refugees that are coming have no other option but to come here. 
I totally agree with that. I mean, if you consider Venezuela alone, right now, since 2015, there have been 5.6 million Venezuelans who have been displaced because of a bad government. It's the same in Syria. It's the same in Lebanon. It's the same, I mean, it's the same all over the place. There are millions of scattered people who've had to leave their homes because of government influence and poor and bad and, and terroristic kinds of things that have happened as a result of the government. So the people that are, are coming now from Venezuela are doctors and lawyers and pediatricians and dentists and medical professionals and teachers and, and store owners and car dealership, you know, salespeople and people who've had businesses and they literally can't thrive. The government has taken their homes, confiscated their bank accounts, and, and then have has depleted all of the things that are important, like gasoline. How do you get to work if you don't have gasoline? The buses can't run. You can't get to work. And businesses are literally just are failing because there is nothing available to them. Children don't have diapers. Um, there isn't enough water to drink and enough toileting facilities. And I mean, it goes on and on and on. There, there are so many things where the shelves are bare. And what would we yeah. do? Where would we go? I mean, <laughs> we would we would go to find what we could to help our families, yeah. including work. And you know, the the interesting thing, um, a lot of people are very concerned about the refugees and the immigrants taking our American jobs. Well, there's been a change in America, and America. Um, a lot of our children wear what I call a backpack of entitlements that, oh, because we live here, or maybe they don't even think about it, but we don't have to work as hard, and, and young people don't want to work in hamburger shops, and they don't want to do dishwashing, and so, you know, the people that are coming are willing to do anything to put food on the table for their families, and they these professional people are working in in housekeeping jobs and landscaping and other kinds of things that um, our children used to do, but now they don't want to do those kinds of things anymore. It costs money to run language classes and to provide health care and housing and sustenance for the refugees. All that stuff is very expensive, but you know, the payoff is that they are hard workers. And right now, some of the refugees that we had beginning in 2014, they own family businesses. And they are strong and healthy and thriving. They help our economy. And um, they pay taxes. And they generate wealth for America. And the immigrants... Um, it, even if they're undocumented, they still pay taxes. They pay into Social Security, which allows me to receive a Social Security check. And if they never become a citizen, they will continue to pay into Social Security without any benefits whatsoever. So we want people to... Um, they, that's one reason why our Social Security right now is as strong as it is, and it may not be in the future, because our government is, is so crazy anyway. But right now, the immigrants, bless their hearts, are helping us. And, and we don't really stop and think about that, or perhaps we don't know. There are many misconceptions that are about the immigrants and the refugees that are simply not true. Yeah. I, I had a mission companion, and she was a, she was a immigrant. And I remember, and her parents are undocumented. And 
they got in a car accident and at age 16 she had to kind of provide for their family and I remember asking well couldn't they go on disability and she kind of looked at me like that's not available for people who aren't citizens and I it was just a shock to me because I was thinking well if somebody is no longer able to work won't they be taken care of but there's so many benefits that we have as citizens that other people don't have as a, a default or as a security net. It, it's a very it's a very sad thing. It w- wouldn't it be nice if we there was a way a mechanism for all of us to be treated equally? Yeah. And if all of us working together, we're stronger when we work together. And um, it's just not a concept that it it. It's not as instilled today as much as it was in earlier times, like in my parents' time. You know, they talk about the golden era of men and women, the values and the principles that they held. It, those, those values and principles are somewhat eroding. And we need to bring back some of those old-fashioned ideas about helping each other and working together as a team. I mean, we yeah. are a team if we would only just consider that. And we, we can do so much more and are so much stronger when we work together. I agree. And I think people kind of have this scarcity model that there's not enough resources and that if we allow more people in, that it takes away from other people. But I think you're right that we, as we work together, we can create a stronger society and be more united instead of divided. And all the people that I know that um, I've met in my life, they're so warm, so loving, so kind, and just bring such a richness to our society. I can't imagine not having them in our culture. And so I think having more diversity and having more people we can learn from, from their experiences, I think is beneficial for us. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Going back to you starting this organization, I know a lot of people think that you need to have a lot of money in order to start a nonprofit organization or to be able to help people. What are ways people can help when they don't have the financial resources? Well, one of the most important things that you can do and or without any money whatsoever is give of your time. It, um, it is one thing. It is a beautiful thing when people donate. It, it really is. Donate their clothing or donate furniture or, or donate even money. But it, it is altogether a different kind of donation when you, when you give your time. And I had a young girl say that from high school just recently, she had just this window of opportunity because of her school that she could maybe serve for maybe two months, but she couldn't serve past that. And we actually have, we ask our teachers to dedicate one year because it takes three months, really, when people only come to to school or to class for two nights a week. It takes three months to establish a rapport, a friendship, um, an equal status, the love and the respect and trust. It really does because so many refugees have been through so many things. And we've had people that have been um, incarcerated or or family members killed because of government beliefs and, and who opposed the government because the government was killing their children, I imagine. And so there were there have been uprisings by some of these other cultures and 
and they were thrown in jail or they were in refugee camps for three and a half years, like some of our our students have been, where children were born and um, had crazy other things happen to them where they didn't get the proper nutrition. So their bone density is is so different than ours because they didn't get nutrition. So what what we need is your time. And um, we have a couple of programs that involve time and they and involve some trial <laughs> too. We we work with the refugees when they come and teach them how to drive and and directional in Utah it's really easy because everything is on you know the grid system one two three you know first south second south first east second east it's easy to find things here, but um, where how to find the resources. What are the immigration resources? What are the, the legal issues that they have? What kind of visas do they have? And help them go through all of those different processes. Or a family could actually pay for um, to sponsor an individual so that they can go back and forth and see their families. Uh, my husband and I sponsor a, a gentleman who had not seen his family for 22 years. And yep, he, wow. he came here illegally, but we were able to get him through those processes and documentation and and he was able to see his family and, and his wife sent us a video. It was joy for him to see his parents after 22 years. And, and it's a small thing, really, when you think about it. And it's something that blesses their lives forever. And so we have the blanket program where we ask people to make blankets for, and a, a, you know, two and a half yards of material is sometimes $15 at Joanne Fabric and, um, and make blankets for all of the people who are coming so that they have something warm from the community. And it is so cold. Like Venezuela is not like, their climate is not like it is here. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and they come without any coats because they don't need coats in Venezuela. And so they have layers. And, and to have a blanket is, and to have it from somebody who cares about them is beautiful. And it's clean. And, you know, when they go to the border and they are held in encampments there, they are held in cages. And, and Trump's order um, to to separate the children is still happening, separate the children from the parents. And some parents don't get to see their children for three months. And what does a little kid oh know gosh. about this? What, I mean, what does a little kid I can't imagine. I mean, I would die if I couldn't see my kids for, I know. if somebody took them away for a day, let alone three months. I can't imagine. And the paperwork, oh, where is this child? Well, gee, I don't know. Did we send them to California? Did we send them to Utah? Where did we send them? It, it's just crazy. It's backlogged and it's hard. It's just hard. Oh, that really breaks your heart. You talking about the blankets. We ha I did a, an episode just a few weeks ago with a friend who her baby had leukemia Oh. And she talked about how somebody made a blanket for her. And I think many of us have done blankets for service projects before. Sure. But hearing her talk about that and saying that that blanket was one of her most prized possessions because there was somebody who cared about her. I just thought, you know, any amount of good that we give, even if it's just making a blanket that really does show love and any amount of goodness that we can give. And, and you think about people that are held at the border that have, you know, all that are starving, that have everything ripped away from them. 
and to be able to hand them a blanket that's so it's such a simple gesture but to be able to say I care about you I want you to feel loved and comfort like a blanket is such a a sweet thing to be able to give someone and I just I think that's beautiful well our blankets are a little bit larger because we figured that there would be enough for two people to be in the blanket for two and a half yards and um some blankets are just, you know, two yards and, uh, and even less for smaller children. But we wanted to have ours larger so that there could be at least two, blank, two people in a blanket. And two, two little kids or two teenagers or, or whatever so that they could be together in a blanket, warmed together. That's really sweet. Can you share some stories of people that you've met to kind of paint some a picture of what these people go through in order to come here? Yes, I can. I have a, a, a beloved family. Um, they are the Marai family, and they came from Syria. And they, um, the father was uh, involved in speaking out against the government because the government was, was harming the, the citizens and taking away their rights and and terrorizing the countries and the cities and the towns and exacting money from them. If they couldn't pay, then they were put in jail. And, and so there was this little group of individuals that were speaking out against the government. And um, our friend, his brother, was captured and killed as a result of being involved in this situ in this type of situation. And uh, and then also our little friend um, his home was burned down, and he has polio, and they even they even wow. burned his braces. I mean, they're it, it's it's just unbelievable what they did. They had to run and hide, and they eventually ended up in um, in Jordan in a refugee camp, and they were there for three and a half years in a tent. And some of the stories that he describes, he had four, three children at the time. Some of the stories that he described his and and. Um, the Marai family are devout Muslims and the kindest, dearest people, and they love God so much, and they try to be such good, good people. And in the worst of conditions, they were praying for help and guidance, and they received that help and guidance, even in getting to America. And they had to fight for food. They had to fight. They, sometimes the kids had to go climb over the fences so they could go to work. And if they were found out that they were working for crying out loud, they were, they were jailed. I mean, why would not let them work? Right. And Jordan and Syria at one time before the war were huge developed. They were third world countries, right? But they were beautiful and lots of money and vast richness and, and beautiful, beautiful things. And, and then you have the refugee camps that are on the outside of all of this wealth. It makes no sense to me. And, and people fighting for food. And it was interesting when, they, when the kids got here, um, his children, their children, when they came here, they were in an apartment complex and they were accustomed to fighting 
if they had to fight, they were going to fight. And so they, they had the opportunity to learn to get along with their neighbors. Now they don't have to fight anymore. They don't even have to, to, to instinctively fight for that food. If there's something on the ground or something out there in the playground, they can share. And they, they, they were feisty when they first came here. And we used to have, have soccer, a wonderful um, an immigrant who devoted five years of his life, three days a week, to come and teach soccer to the children while their parents were in English classes. Um, he helped show them how they could work together with each other, that they didn't need to have this fight in them because they were safe now, and they were they were loved, and they were home, and we could all get along with each other. We had um, Mexicans and um, Colombians and, and Guatemalans and all these people playing together, including other you know countries, Syria, Lebanon, Georgia. I mean, it was really just amazing. And they all got along, this beautiful, beautiful coach who taught them these values. So their, their children went through things that we can never even imagine. But you know, if, if our country um, has difficult times. We can look to these neighbors who have really suffered, who know how to get through them, and they'll be able to help us. We've had um, people recently come from Venezuela and who have come as many as 2,000 miles on their feet. Single, single wow. mothers who have had traveled to had who have had to travel through jungles, and who. This particular mother that I'm thinking of, um, we were able to help her with some coats and clothing when they first got here. And we took them to Costco, and they wept when they when they saw, they'd never been in a Costco. They'd never seen such grandeur, and it'd been so long since they'd seen shelves with food on them. And it was, like, unbelievable. Like, where do they start to look? They have had so little for so long. And families have to really be careful particularly in Guatemala, uh, well, and certainly in other places too, in Mexico, because of the armies and the drug wars and the guerrillas that are fighting there, a nine-year-old boy might be left um, to his own devices to try to get to America or other countries by themselves, because moms and dads are counting on the, the benevolence of other people to help him get to America or another safe country. So A, he doesn't have to join the guerrillas and join in the drugs and the gangs and, and all the other terrible things that are happening. Nine years oh, old. I can't imagine that. My I have a seven-year-old and I can't, I mean, I can't imagine just letting a nine-year-old, they're, that's, they're still so young. Well, 16 is too young, even. If they, I yeah, mean, and who'd want to do it at 22? But if these kids aren't allowed by their parents to join in the guerrilla activities that are there in the gangs, then their families are raped or their houses are burned or, I mean, and so naturally the parents want their children to be safe. So they, and, yeah. and sometimes they're too old or don't have enough money, but they can find the means to send one person. We had a beautiful woman who helped us with our pancake breakfast for a long, long time. She was just a doll, and I didn't know she still had children in Mexico. She had two young children here, I mean young children here, but she had teenagers in Mexico, and she helped pay. Um, a lot of the Hispanics will 
join together, not even being families. They will help finance to try to get people to come, uh, their children to come so that they can be safe, right? And she sent some money down um, to Mexico for some what she thought would be some good support for her two children, and only one of them was allowed to come, though two of them were supposed to come. She paid enough for two of them to come. And so there's deception and all kinds of other crazy things. And there, a real threat right now, a real threat is the human trafficking. And we know that people are kept alive so that they can be used as slaves or sex slaves or whatever. But the new thing is organ harvesting, to take a real life person and remove their organs and sell them, or to sell parts of their blood. I mean, it's real and it's unbelievable. And so the journey for people to come is fraught with so many things that we can't even imagine. Um, I, want, I want to share something that I think is important, and I, I share it often, but it's in, it's, it's in the Bible, okay? It's in Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 and 8. And it says, If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother, but that shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. That's, that's wow. the way we're all supposed to be, and we can help. And we can help in small ways. You know, um, people could send a dollar. People could, children could put together 50 cents. Um, they they could make a blanket. The families, I have a, a woman who's in my neighborhood and she helped, she got her children involved at Christmas time and Thanksgiving and they got together and helped make these blankets for us. And she got all of her family involved. And she recently just called and she says, okay, we're ready to do this again. Her high school, one of her children at high school needed a project. And so they're going to make blankets for the refugees and for the immigrants. And it's small. And it's something that we can all do. Christmas time this last year, there was a woman who donated many, many new dishes. You know, dishes, a set of dishes for a family of four can be bought at Walmart for 10 or $12. And new dishes to honor somebody when they come who has nothing, what are they going to eat on? Paper plates for the rest of their lives? I mean, it's just, there's so many small things that we can do that really amount to big things if people will stop and consider toothbrushes, toothpaste, uh, body soap, shampoo, conditioner, um, and, and get your children involved in sharing some of their allowance. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I love that. I know that this Christmas we went and bought some pots and pans, and then we had the kids draw some notes and write some letters to the kids in the pots and pans. I know my children, they have no concept of want or <laughs> they haven't experienced that. And I right. think it's good to be able to help them understand that there's, that we can do more to help un the unfortunate that were there any other stories or things that you wanted to share before I asked you about ways people could get involved? Honestly, there. everybody has a story, just so that you know we have an immediate and advanced English classes, and we ask these people to write their stories. And 
<clears throat> some of the stories are so touching. We had a young gentleman from Moldova, which is in Russia, and he had, I believe he had 11 children in his family, and mom and dad were alcoholics. And so the children left home. They were beaten, and um, they lived from hand to mouth every day because mom and dad were alcoholics, right? And so a sister came to the United States, and then a brother, and then finally this young man came, and he was walking past the, um, the Midvale Senior Center where we were teaching English, and he kept coming by the windows, and he did for a couple of days, and he finally came in to find out what we were doing, and, and then started attending our English classes. And he was an advanced speaker and attended our advanced class, and in his class, they wrote, he wrote his story. And one of the things that he said that Russia is not a country where people watch out for each other. It's, it's dog eat dog there because there's so much. I mean, it's a socialistic country. It's a communist country. It's a country where, you know, love thy neighbor is love yourself because your neighbor's going to hurt you in the end anyway. And so he said that coming here and being in this class was the first time he ever remembered ever feeling loved and cared for by other people because people just are not neighborly and, and you don't know who you can trust in Russia. I mean, I could talk all day, and I, but we have such a, a diverse group of people who have suffered and have suffered and sacrificed just to get here. And many Many people come here husbandless or wifeless because they don't even know where those family members are or their children have been taken from them and brutally murdered. Um, uh, the, the president, Bashar, in Syria, um, his delight was to kidnap the children and torture them and then send them to their homes, back to their homes. Can you even imagine um, the brutality of, of, of other people? I can't, I can't even begin to imagine. And so let's treat everybody with kindness and, and grace and, 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 and open our hands wide to people who have so much to give us if we'll give them the opportunity. And I'm not talking about goods. I'm talking about real love and loyalty and trust and concern. Yeah. And I think that's so beautiful that he was able to feel that love when he was in your class, especially people who have grown up feeling loved and safe their whole life. There's a, a book I read. It's called Escape from Camp 14. And it's about this guy who he's the only person to ever escape from a North Korean concentration camp. But basically he was taught not to be loving towards his family for them to tell on each other and everything it was just a very crazy society and he ended up coming to the United States I think that it was really hard for him to even grasp that people aren't out to get you for a really long time but I think that any amount of kindness and love that we can bestow to people that have very unfortunate situations I think it not only helps them but it opens our hearts and we have a capacity to for so much love and to have so many people that we can help in our lives. And so I think being able to give people of our time and our heart, I think that's so, so amazing. And it's amazing what you've been able to do. The other day you were telling me about what happens at the border, how some of these people come and then they have their things taken away. Can you 
explain a little more about that? So this is new. Um, within the last maybe two months, we hadn't heard these stories, but everybody's looking to gain something from somebody, right? And and people are poor, and so I get that, but they fabricate all of these different ways where they can they can get more gain. So when these people have traveled all this way, and they've got their children, and they've got their luggage, and they've got their backpacks, and and all the earthly possessions that they can take with them, right? Much of that stuff, the, of their personal belongings, are being confiscated at the borders, not from the U.S. border, but from before you get to the U.S. border. Uh, so the Americans are not doing this. This is done by the other countries. They're taking their stuff. And they're, if you can't carry it, then you can't have it. And so if you have to carry two children, how are you going to carry your suitcase that has your clothes and maybe a pillow or diapers for the kids or, or something, you know? You just have to leave it. And so people, when they are coming here and they're crossing the borders and they're being vetted for even as being asylum seekers because their government is harassing, killing, doing so many dastardly things, um, they come with nothing. And so people are cold and they are hungry and they don't have dishes. They don't know where to live. And I personally know of families right now where people 12 in, a, in an apartment, a one-bedroom apartment, are living because there's nowhere else for them to go. It takes time for asylum seekers to be vetted. Number one, it can take up to two or three months. And so they come to the border thinking they're going to get over, and they do eventually get over, but they have to be vetted first by the American government. And, and their children are often separated from them as well, though it's a different concept, asylum seeking. is considered more legal. And so there's there's a better kept way of keeping people together. Um, but the families, their, their belongings are taken from them and they literally come with what they can carry in their arms or on their back. And so they may not have combs or brushes and, um, and shampoo or razors or toothpaste. And maybe they lost those on the way anyway, or their things were stolen from them in any event. They still come with nothing. And the thing that bothers me is um, <clears throat> I, I don't want to talk smack about our president um, or the pastor or the future or anybody else, but we don't have the border control. We don't have the, our borders under control. And so people don't know what to do. And consequently, they're over on overload. And so there's a huge waiting list for people to get their work permits. Even if they're asylum seekers, they should be able to get their work permits right away. But sometimes it's taking two years. And so people have to work. Wow. And we have plenty of jobs. We have tons of jobs that are available. In fact, as you know, if you hear on the news, people can't find people to work. And so, but they're... they're Yes, They're boggled down in all this red tape. Let them work. Let us let us all serve each other for heaven's sakes. I just for those people who are here already, for them to be made legal, let's help them become citizens. Let's welcome them. Let's embrace them and let's let's bring them home. And then for the others who aren't home, let's find a way. If they're going to come, let's find a way to make things better for them instead of such a, a horrific way for them to get here. Yeah. 
And it, it's so dangerous. And then there's so many people that take advantage of the system and are robbing them and taking advantage of them being in such a desperate mode that they'll take their money and take whatever from them in order to help them to come across illegally. And I wish there was a better way that we could help people to come. I learned a little bit more about this when I was, when I was a missionary in, in Texas and I had this woman who I became really close to and her husband wasn't a citizen and he spent thousands of dollars going and getting his birth certificates and all of these records available. And it took him years to find all the records and everything to try to become legal. And he brought the paperwork to wherever he was going and the woman wouldn't even look at his papers and just put a stamp that said denied. And he was like, it was just so heartbreaking because he had spent all this time and money to try to get here legally. And, you know, I think a lot of people say, why can't people come legally? And it's such a hard process to be able to come. And there's some people that try to and don't even get the consideration. And I don't know the backstory behind that, but that's just what she had told me that had happened to her husband. The people that came from Afghanistan, they started coming on October 1st, last year, 2021. And a lot of the people um, that came were youngsters. I mean, young teenagers and who, who spoke five or six different languages and who all spoke English. And they um, have been to high school and some type of college and they were bright and they were eager and they so wanted, they were so excited to be here in the United States. And um, they, some, many of them came to Midvale and stayed at a hotel for a while because we knew they were coming, right? Um, but we didn't know exactly who was coming and when they were coming. And so there was a housing, there is a housing shortage. And so some of the people had to stay in hotels and we had the opportunity of serving um, 11 families that had come who were at, in one of the hotels here in Midvale. And, um, we brought them over to an area where we'd had a, a huge donation drive. They could they could choose anything in the clothing, in the light way of clothing and backpacks and things for their family. And they were excited and they were really um, appreciative and they were absolutely, utterly charming. It was so fun to speak to them in English. And we had many of them who had worked for the American government over there and who had worked for the military installations and as interpreters. And so their English was perfect and sharp and they were fluent in our language. And they'll be such an asset when they get their feet on the ground. And all of those people now have the um, IRC and Catholic Community Services and other, the Asian Community Refugee Center, um, all of those people have help to find homes for them and they're all in homes now no one's in a hotel but men and women who'd lived in the country for a long long time and who were old what we would call old school okay old-fashioned they didn't live in the city and for them to to get here was a huge sacrifice and very very dangerous for them one of our own students who had been through our math class our english classes and who had was a recent 
citizen, she would never have made it back with her twins and her family from Afghanistan had she not been a citizen. I mean, it was just God's intervention that allowed her to get here. She had been living on the streets for days with her kids. And imagine hundreds of thousands of people trying to get off on all these airplanes in August, September, and even partly in October. Um, and who's going to get on all those planes? Not everybody made it. But our little, our little student made it with her, with her twins and her mother and a sister-in-law and a brother. And they're, they're a small child. And they all went to um, Germany and then went to West Virginia yeah. and then came here to Salt Lake where they are being helped here by the refugee community and, and, and others. So it, it's, um, they've been through so much, so, so much. We um, should just open our hand wide, right? And, and many people have and many people do. There are some that don't. And there always will there will always be those people who just have a mentality that you know no this is our country but it's our it's all of our country. And I like what you said at the beginning. I've always had the mentality of unless you're a Native American, we are all refugees. <laughs> we are all immigrants. We have all all of our ancestors did not start out here for the most part. And I think America has always been that safe haven for people to have their religious freedoms. A lot of the reasons that people came here in the first place, and that's such a beautiful part of, of our culture that I hope that people can open their hearts and their minds to and not be so closed to having the rich culture of diversity here in America. Well, you brought up an interesting comment, and that is the Native American was here first, right? And what we did to them was is just an atrocity. And what we did to them is what is happening in other countries. When I say we, I mean, that was, that was generations long ago, but there were so many good things about them that we could have, if we had just practiced other kinds of things, that grace and that kindness and We've come a long way, and we need to go way, way further. But we need to remember that, you know, I think everybody in this world can see the Native American and see how cruel life has yeah. been for them. And it doesn't need to be and should never be, and we should be standing solidly yeah, behind them. Well, can you tell us some ways that people can get involved with helping the refugees? If people are local, what they can do to help your organization, and also non-local people, what they could do to donate or, or help out. So the, the biggest thing that we, our, our biggest expense, frankly, is printing supplies. And so if there was a printer out there who would donate um, their printing materials and their copy machines and so forth, that would just be a wonderful blessing to all of the students who are coming and who will continue be, to be able to come because of the generosity of printing companies. We have um, a gentleman who works with Salt Lake Legal um, who, whose big kudos go to him because he has done so much for us and for free. Uh, an amazing institution, and so has Salt Lake Orange. And we have had others as well. We need, we need a lot of help with donations and drives and gathering people together who will put together, 
dignity kits for basically hygiene. And we also have cleaning product kit that where people can have Ajax and bleach and, and Mr. Clean and, and, and sponges and, and scrubbing brushes because they have to take care of the properties in which they live. And even a refugee, though they're helped by the federal government and even state governments, um, if they are given welfare, they, that welfare money is for food. It doesn't include diapers. It doesn't include shampoo and conditioner and razors and toothbrush and, and toothbrushes, and they still have to buy it. So these things are vital for them. Baggies, I mean, wash rags, towels. I think it's all the things that go on your bed and the things that go in your house. Many of those things are not provided. And so we need donations of, of all kinds for the household. And we, we're asking, uh, because dishes, for example, are so inexpensive, to buy a set of four for $12. And you can buy them at Walmart. And the um, utensils for knives and forks and spoons for a set of, of a family of four are also 10 to $12. And they come in different sizes and different decorations and different colors. And, and they're so grateful. And glasses... I bought glasses the other day for 50 cents a piece. I mean, there are really some very inexpensive items that can be donated. The blankets are huge because that is a, a comfort. And sometimes it can also serve as a pillow. Maybe they have another blanket from somebody else, but they don't have a pillow. And so um, and another thing that we desperately need is beds. People, clean bedding, um, clean mattresses and box springs and we we have delivered 83 beds since October <laughs> it's a lot of beds and a lot of bedding and um, we j it's just a big deal that we need we also need some English teachers and we need people who are bilingual in English and Spanish to help us in our classes because we have so many Hispanic people or anybody who knows Arabic that could, would like to help in our classes that's a, that's a big plus for us too um, we need help we need immigration wow, help that's a lot we of need bad. lawyers who could help us with you know take an hour um, of donated time to help with some of the, the things that happen as a result of crossing the border that nobody could have foreseen. And fiancé visas is, a, is an interesting thing, too. We have a young woman that came from Mexico, I believe, and um, her fiancé paid for her to come, and she got a, he got a finance fiance visa for her but he ended up beating her and so she didn't stay and of all places she came to Salt Lake with her child and um, she is a lovely lovely family a cute little story about this family is this when this family came the daughter was very young and I don't want to say her name because she's a teenager now but if she should hear this she would be sad and maybe a little bit embarrassed but um, her mother was a single mother and had gone through this fiancé visa hassle where the gentleman um, actually beat her and um, was harmful to her. And so she was able to get away, and she came to Utah, and she came to our English classes. And I said to this little girl one day, I said, you are hungry every day. I was just teasing her. And we always serve graham crackers and orange juice or something or, or treats or whatever. But she, she, they came early, and they always snacked on what we had. And um, this girl says, well, I am always hungry. And it, um, 
It surprised me. I had no idea, and we wouldn't have known. She was dressed well. She was clean and, and neat and tidy and lovely, lovely people. But they were hungry and didn't have any food. And um, there's just so many things that we don't know about people until we have the opportunity or take the opportunity to get to know them. I'll never forget their little story. We were able to get food in their home that night and to provide shelter and other things that they needed, but we just didn't know. And people don't want us to know sometimes too. It's hard. And it's a it's it's not even just an issue of pride. It's an issue of, you know, what are people going to think and 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 I'm supposed to be self-reliant and I can't be yet. And, you know, teaching them self-reliance and how, how to get along in this world is something that the refugees really need. Like where, where is Walmart? There's 20 of them, but where are they? And how do they get there? And what about the busing system? And how do you buy insurance yeah. for a car? These are things that the refugees need because they don't know and they're not used in their country. So there's so many things that um, we have a Facebook page. We need um, unity in the community is the name of our organization. It's all one word. And we need people to help with Photoshop, as you know, which you're helping us with now. We need website monitoring because it's, there's so many things that we could, that we could do more in, in marketing, but it's just hard because I don't have the time to do it. And we, we do need yeah. teachers and we do need donations, both in, in commodities and we could use um, donations for printing. There isn't any overhead for unity in the community because we operate out of our home, which is a blessing. Um, I don't have employees. Everybody does what they do for free and out of love. And so we don't, we don't have employees. We have a, a whole staff of and slew of teachers and, yeah. and um, translators and other people who are willing to help. And they could call simply, and our our needs change, and they vary based on who we are working with and the situation at hand in the world and who is coming. So it's not always the same, but we always need help. And, um, and prayers, frankly, prayers. You know, we're supposed to pray for everybody. We could, these people could use your prayers. Well, it sounds like if you have time, then you can use their time. And if you have the resources, we they can you can use the resources. There's unlimited things that people can do to get involved. And I'm so glad that we're able to hear a little bit of these stories. And I hope that people who are listening can open their hearts and be able to do something to help these this population. I... I admire you so much for the person you are. I think that, you know, we haven't really talked much about your life and, and who you are, but I think the way you describe these other people speaks volumes of who you are as a person and the selfless person you are. And I just, I admire that. And I love hearing of your goodness and, and all that you do to help so many people. And, you know, there's so many opinions out there about immigrants. I feel like you've done such a good job at painting such a beautiful picture of, of us showing more love and kindness and that there's room for everyone. There's, there's jobs for everyone. We can, we can work together. And, and I just, I love that. 
you. Thank you for allowing us the time. Um, this really, I try very, very hard not to make this about me. This is about we. And um, it really is. The teachers um, are the reason that people keep coming back because they love so wholeheartedly. I mean, they love first and they teach second. But by their love, they, they make better teachers. And it's easy to love people who are kind and and dear and who are eager to learn and they are and they and you know they want to speak English they <laughs> and it's hard for them sometimes they're, sometimes their children make fun of them because they don't speak as well as they do you know and so they it's embarrassing if they can't say the right thing and and, they, and people laugh at them but we have a way of all laughing together with each other and the the beauty of Everyone being in the same boat, so to speak, and working toward the same goals is a beautiful thing. And the teachers are adept at, most of the teachers are retired school teachers or are currently teachers. I would hope that anybody hearing this uh, podcast would um, tell everybody that this is something that is beautiful and that we should help everybody with. And maybe we'll have to have so many classes come and help us teach. <laughs> that would be amazing. So, well, I have one last question for you, and that's if you could go back in time to any stage of life and give yourself advice, where would you go and what would you say? Well, I like this time of life better than any other time of life. Um, I was a single mother much of my life, and my life, um, I think I've been very, very blessed, but it was hard. Um, it's hard to raise boys, and um, I have we have three beautiful children. I'm married now, and um, actually this is our second marriage to each other and so <laughs> and tom is the father of our children but it's it's been it's been difficult so i like where we are now where we have um we have new beginnings i think um, i'm i retired early from a very lucrative and joyous job i've been a, a, a personal injury paralegal almost all of my entire career I left early so that I could take, to, so I could do this, and this has been by far the very, very best. And so I think that people who are older and who are retired contribute a lot um, to society. And that if you think you're too old, you're not. We have we. I want to start an adult literacy program and have people who are. Um, who are older, who have time and can spend time with families reading and learning to write and things of that nature. There's a, there's a lot of illiteracy amongst Americans as well. And I just want people to be helped. And I think that people in this time of their life, the golden years, right, um, is an opportunity where you don't have to be stagnant at all and, and scratch your head and wonder about what you're going to do. You can still continue to help. And so I would say that the most important thing in life that we can do is service. And we can do service at any stage in our life. But people who are older and their families are raised, empty nesters, please don't use all of your time to run around and enjoy nature and travel, you know, 
500 days out of the year, <laughs> but come, come and help and help in very specific ways and be ready for your hearts to be changed forever. I love that. I think that's such great advice. And I do think that you're right. The, you know, the richness of life is in being able to have those meaningful relationships and be able to, and to see that we can make an impact even in just our, in our communities. And I think that you're such a good example of that, of being proactive and, and doing this. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share about this. And I hope that we can get some more people involved in to be able to help your organization. Thank you so much. That would just be the best bonus ever. And it has been a thrill to be able to um, speak about the plight of people who are coming to this country. It's, it's an honor to work with them, and it's an honor to know them. And it's a pleasure and my pleasure to speak about their vastness and their richness and their holiness. And I mean that sincerely. They are beautiful, beautiful, caring people, the same as you and I. I love that.